Hello, hello. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Get ready to learn and laugh. Here we go. I am Jen Cole. I am the co-founder of Zippy Media and community manager for Social Media Examiner. And this is Making a Marketer. I'm Elizabeth Glau at elizabethglau.com, and this is Making a Marketer. Hello, hello. I'm Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing, and this is episode 29 of Making a Marketer. Well, our show today is about influencer marketing. Now, I think our past guest, Ben Roberts, would say that that's a buzzword, right? So it definitely is, but it's pretty prevalent, especially in light of, and we'll talk a little bit about the whole fire festival thing as we get into the show. Definitely, it's been a hot topic, right? And so we, yeah, absolutely. So we have three fabulous guests today, and I'll introduce them in just a second. Our sponsor for the show is Powers of Marketing, and we provide strategic marketing, uh, consulting, and execution for small to medium-sized businesses. Okay, our guests are extremely international. We have like this, we're all over the world on this show today. So our first guest, she is in Montreal, Rachel Stefan. She's a strategic thinker, creative idea generator, and an event industry speaker. She's the senior event marketing strategist with Sense of Event Marketing and the chief of Snowball Event Influencer Marketing. We'll get into that a little bit. Snowball helps event professionals cultivate trust and authenticity by putting word of mouth to work. Our next guest is Tamara Beck. She is CEO at Gleanin, and she's in an area of West London, uh, Twickenham. Did I get it? You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to, you know, not be a, too much of an American <laughs> as I say that. She has 15 years of event experience from individual project to portfolio management, which includes overall financial responsibility and management of sales, marketing, operations, and finance. Wow. Uh, she also managed a, a number of launches and acquisitions. And our next guest, and she is in the Netherlands. She's from Belgium. She is founder. Uh, her name is Mariska Kestelo. Did I get it? Yes, yes. completely correct. Yes. <laughs> she is founder of Word of Mice. And we'll get into what mice is for those folks who aren't in the events industry listening to this show. So she is the engine behind Word of Mice who finds the right social influencer for your region, city, convention bureau, hotel, or venue. They'd like to tell your story and build a unique global campaign to promote your service or product. She's also the immediate past president of MPI Belgium, which is Meeting Professionals International, an organization that Elizabeth and I are intimately familiar with. And so I want to welcome you all to the show. Thanks for being on today. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. Did I leave anything out that, that you want to share about your bio? Anyone want to add? We can start with Rachel. Rachel, is there anything you wanted to talk? tell us about Snowball? No, uh, at the beginning, no. <laughs> I'm good. How about Tamar? Any, anything you want to tell us about Glean In? Oh, so, um, well, uh, you, you mentioned that I um, was an event organizer. So I used to be an event organizer, but now, seven years ago, we launched Gleanin and Gleanin is a referral attendee to attendee referral platform. So that's what I do now. So out of events and in marketing platform. Perfect. Yes. And then Mariska, do you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, what MICE stands for? <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, MICE stands for Meetings, Incentive Conference, Events and Exhibitions. In our industry, some in some continents like in Asia or Europe, it's more used than, for example, in, in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But this is good. This is why we like to have uh, some some broader perspectives on the on the on the show. Tell people uh, <laughs> I actually learned something. So let's go ahead and just start at you know the fifty thousand feet. So Rachel, why don't you give us just you know just a high level definition of influencer marketing? We'll let you kick it off and and have Tamara and Mariska added anything to uh, your definition. Okay. Well, influencer marketing it's 
really working with people who have some sort of a influence or a pool of connections and people that they can influence into action or into doing something on behalf of a brand or on behalf of uh, an event. So there's different types of influencers. I don't know if you're going to get to to them after, but, you know, we'll have the micro, we have the nano now. Uh, There's many different levels of them. And it's really depending on uh, your goal and what you're going after, the different industries that would work with these type of influencers in order to get to their audience in a way to kind of influence or pass on a message about your own uh, business. That's quickly a definition that I could come up with right now. Yeah, we definitely want to get into the uh, different types next. Tamar or Mariska, do you have anything to add to that? No, no. uh, Rachel's definition, that does. Yeah, that cut. Just catches everything. I think it, when we start talking definitions and it starts to, you know, we can start to break it down a bit. All right. So I guess then the next natural question is, what are the various types of influencers? Tamar, since you're unmuted, <laughs> want to go first on that? Yes. So for me, I think there are various types. And actually, the, you know, I know we're going to talk about the fire stuff, but it's made me really... Uh, think about things a little differently there. I think there's, you've got celebrity influencers, you've got experts who are influencers, and then you've got kind of everyday people that I, I would call kind of micro influencers. So from a marketing perspective, I, um, you know, there's so many different levels to think about how, you know, what types of influencers are going to help you and what you want to achieve. Um, I'm thinking from the celebrity level, I've, I've read a really good definition this week talking about celebrity influences. And actually, probably what those people are doing is more that they're endorsing products. So it's more of a celebrity endorsement than an influence, you know, than an influencer. So um, there's been that whole discussion about paying influencers. So I think that you could probably start with where you pay influencers or where you're just requesting, you know, people are just influencing others uh, through organic methods. There's so many different layers. Rachel's probably going to have much more to add on that. (laughs) In in, in my business, we're very, very focused on on the micro on person to person and so we're not looking to leverage celebrity or expertise and stuff whereas I think what Rachel does is looking at you know what she's doing it she's going up probably a level from where we go so she's probably got a lot more to say on that than me yeah Um, Rachel no it's just because we we don't do the macro influencers it's Mm -hmm. more micro to even nano influencers that we work with it's because the the, the uh, macro one is the celebrities that you mentioned in Tamar is that these people have many, 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 many followers. And uh, these are not the ones we're going to go after because the level of engagement, I mean, they might have the following, but they're not really niche into the following, the followers that they have. And they might put up a message up there, but the level of engagement between them and their own followers is not there because they're not personally connected to them. They're just putting out a message almost like one way. What we're interested in is more the the micro, even the macro ones. The nano ones are like very specialized, very niche, like your average Joe who is has good connections and can have a direct influence or conversation or have some sort of exchange with somebody that can recommend a product or a service with them. It comes authentic. And most of the time, the one that we work with, they're not even paid to do so. And that's going to also, you gain more trust because there's nothing there for me. I'm not paid for that. So you trust it more. I mean, you know, think of somebody referring you for something. If they haven't even tried the product, if they haven't tried the restaurant, for example, would you believe them? Or somebody who's just like, you know, go, but they find out later that the restaurant is giving them a referral fee for it. You know, it's like, oh, why did they send me there? Because they want the referral, not so much because they like the food. So these are the type of things you want to think about a little bit in choosing the right influencer for your campaign. And if it's you're going for the big numbers or you're going for more qualified referrals. So maybe one of you can break down a little bit further the difference between the micro and the nano. If I was thinking, I don't know, the nano or the micro, I'm guessing that so the nano is going to be the smallest. I think every person, every human being has the opportunity to influence someone else, (laughs) whatever that is. So to me, that would be at the nano level, right, Rachel? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think the, you know, where you would start would be the nano level and, and is understand that if you, whatever product, business, 
you know, whatever you're trying to achieve, you will have nano influences. And those recommendations will be going on no matter what between the people that buy your product or use your service. And, you know, one way or another, those recommendations are going on. And as a marketer, if you can work out how to capture and measure and help people do those things that they're already doing, then that's a good marketing tactic. So I'd say that would be nano. And then I would class a a macro at somebody who's slightly elevated from that kind of everyday person, but has some kind of expertise in like a subject matter. Maybe if we were talking about business, you know, you'll find people that are experts on market or on a particular subject, or maybe like a restaurant critique, for instance, if we were to really try to generalize it. A restaurant critic, you would assume, is not being paid. They're being paid by a paper or something to um, you know, review restaurants, but they won't be being paid or hopefully not by the restaurants they're reviewing. But they, through those reviews, they are influencing a, a fairly large number of people, but they're only influencing those people because that person is an expert. So people are trusting what they say. Ah, I, that, that would be I, a definition. I like that. So I'm a nano influencer, I think, for event manager blog and endless events because like I'm always sharing their content. Yeah. Um, but like, there you go. And Elizabeth made a point for IMAX that she called me an undercover. Or maybe <laughs> Rachel and Elizabeth got together on that, an undercover influencer, because a lot of times it's not me. It's not my face. It's not my brand that's sharing the content. I'm doing it for other mm, yeah. companies and organizations in the industry. So you are their influencer, of course, definitely. Yeah. And, they, and you weren't paid to do that. You did it because you found the, the content valuable enough to share it to your network. For sure. Like thought leadership. Sharing thought leadership within the industry is super important. So, yeah. Yes, I would like to add that, for example, in China, they use the word call, key opinion leader, instead of an influencer. And I actually prefer to use that word because Mm. it's more recognition to what people do. I mean, we select people based on their experience, not based on the number of followers. And I think because everybody categorizes themselves as nano, micro, macro, um, celebrity influencer but I think we need to step away from well and I think Rachel will agree with me I think we need to step away from from the number of followers but the quality of the followers that we want to have and we we select very specifically the influencer based on their background and of course based on their audience but based on their experience and I think if you mention the word influencer and that's actually a hate love affair I have with that word because it doesn't always cover the work that they do. And it depends for what kind of a job you put them in. So sometimes I prefer to use the word key opinion leader because it gives much more recognition on what they do than saying an influencer, especially in our industry, in the mice industry, because a lot of people and then think directly of young millennials showing new clothes and thinking about short campaigns. And others think about long-term strategic campaigns for six months or longer. Experts like all of us are now on the call who can tell the story within the right target audience. I just thought of um, something while Mariska was saying that, that it's funny that when people say the word influencer, they say what Mariska said is I prefer not to use the word influencer because we don't care about likes and follows. But why does influencer make people think about social media straight away? Um, because it's not all about social media. And so it's funny that, that it's become such a connected mm-hmm. word. And that might be, you know, how you've just said, oh, I don't like the word influence because you're immediately thinking about following. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. You're totally correct. Yes. How do you think that influencer marketing works alongside other marketing tactics? How can it fit in the rest of the strategy? Well, the first thing that I, how, well, perhaps it would be more clear if I explain the way how we work. So if we sit, if a client is interested in influencer marketing, we sit together with the client and look into their strategic plan. And a lot of clients misunderstood the strategic decision behind an influencer campaign. Um, so we sit with the client and we talk and say, what is your, what are your goals on a short term, on a long term? Who is your current uh, target audience? Who is your desired target audience? Who is your buyer persona? 
what have you done online, what's been working, what have you done offline, what has not been working. I mean, we want to hear as much as information about your entire marketing strategy because a lot of people see that influencer marketing is not part of your entire strategy or not a part of your marketing strategy and I think there is still a lot to cover because they think oh we hire an influencer and then suddenly magic happens and I don't think that it will can strengthen other marketing activities as well within your company so I think that's a word that we yeah that we need to encourage companies and saying, if you want to start an influencer marketing campaign, it's not if we talk today that you can start tomorrow. We do first our research and then we look into our community and beyond our community to find the right influencer who can spread the word about your service or your company. So these are campaigns that takes two to three months to prepare. And we also involve these influencers from the start. We ask, for example, you to say, okay, we are interested in you and your followers. How would you spread, how would you translate the outcome of the campaign into your into your target audience? So because you we hire you as the expert, you are the key opinion leader. So we want to have your input. We're not going to dictate what you're going to say. So I think there's two important aspects there, a strategic decision, and we hire you for your expertise and knowledge and your background in the mines industry. So because then you really build, it's about relationship marketing, then you really build those professional relationships for long term and not just how we ask you to post a picture. You know, that's not what influencer marketing will. Within our company, it's not what it's about. Yeah, I think that that's very important. You know, I I feel like on anything, everything should be genuine and it shows if it's not. And I I love that you said the whole thing about relationship marketing. That's so entirely powerful. Rachel or Tamar, do either of you have anything to add to that? Actually, yes, I would love to add something to that. How influencer marketing can augment a little bit what you're doing because when you're doing a, looking at a whole marketing campaign and I have the pleasure of, I have the, 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 um, the expertise from Sensov that we did event marketing and then Snowball Influencer Marketing and how they both kind of match together is because when you do the regular part of marketing, it's one way a voice from the brand. It's a story that you're telling about a, of a business, telling a product. Getting the influencers and qualified influencers is giving a voice to the other ones as well to speak from their experience, how they experience your product or, or business and then kind of amplify a little bit the, the marketing so that gives it another level of reach and you know that in marketing you have multiple touch points that you have to have so the more you have from different point of views and not just you talking about your own stuff that has more value if other people also talk and and add to what you're saying yeah absolutely tomorrow do you have anything to add I think Rachel's kind of said it all, but I think I think the other way to think about it is is about when you're um, starting to look at how you can elevate to influencer marketing. Actually, what you're doing is you're taking word of mouth, and you're that you know it's that word of mouth that probably, in terms of authenticity and stuff, that's something that's been going on since the beginning of time. So working out how to corral positive word of mouth about your product, your company, your service whatever it might be, and then elevating that to start to, to influence people, you know, that haven't uh, experienced the product, for instance. Yeah, I think uh, Mariska and Rachel both, you know, touched on this a little bit, but what does it mean for an influencer to collaborate with a brand? I've, you know, I've, I've read about this and I've, you know, I've heard about this for a while, right? It's like, I want to collaborate with you. And I always thought it seemed like such a weird you know, kind of word or concept, but I mean, I think I understand a little bit more in this, you know, in this scenario, but I'll let, I'll let you kick that off uh, tomorrow. Oh my goodness. I'm not quite sure that, that I've got the right to uh, talk about that. Do you mean where an influencer might approach a brand and ask to work with it? But, or, yeah, potentially. I mean, I think there's different yeah. ways to kind of come at this, but I, I, I've heard that a lot or I've seen that a lot. Yeah, I guess I, I'm, I, because my experience is so narrow, I'm in like one market and I'm conscious that people are listening to this that aren't from yeah. the events background. But the only similar scenario I can think of would be maybe speakers at an event. So ex- experts that uh, try to get themselves, you know, it onto stages, to certain stages because it's going to help their brand. And that, that might be where you might see it in my industry happen that way. So the speaker would be the influencer and they're, uh, they, they are actually seeking out uh, the organizer in order, you know, collaborating with them for a win-win kind of scenario. I'll speak in return. They'll bring people along to the event. Outside of that, I don't have 
much more to add. Maybe the others do. Yeah, well, Mar- Mariska started to get into this a little bit on the last you know, question, talking about influencers working with the, you know, with the, with the company. And I think some things I've read is kind of, you know, co-creating the content and stuff like that. Mariska, is there anything you wanted to add? Yes, because um, a lot of people think if you mention the media and events industry and the travel industry that um, I always say I don't work with the people that call out to the hotel, to your destination and to ask for a free stay on uh, on on Valentine's Day, which was a huge discussion last year. Um, perhaps Tamara knows about that. One. But because it's a strategic decision, so we look for the right people who match with the company. So, and these are long-term campaigns. So we carefully select the people and because we are asking them upfront before the campaign starts, they can say yes or no, if it's a match or not. And if it's a yes, then they have complete collaboration. It's a relationship that you build up together. And uh, I think that's the most important thing and that's the most important thing for success as well because, yeah, there are professionals, there are experts in the field and they also have, and along the way the campaign goes, more input comes from them and say, hey, we could perhaps do this or we can do that. And then you see that really takes time before that relationship builds up. So we reach out mainly to the influencers, then the influencers reach it to us so, because they cannot always know upfront from on which campaign we are working. So... What would you say, and I'll ask Mariska first since you're, we have you uh, at the second, what are some key performance indicators? What are some KPIs that you should create as part of your campaign? I think it depends on the client. I, um, I cannot say you have to focus on this or that. And uh, I mean, every um, we work with hotels, we mainly work with the suppliers, so not with events, but with the suppliers, hotels, destinations. And it depends. It needs to be aligned with their with their strategic plan. So I'm not going to. Of course, we can make some suggestion, but normally it's it's written within their strategic plan. If they want to have more awareness, work want to work on the reputation, they want to work on visibility, and they want to show a new service or a new product or for a hotel, they refurbish their rooms. So. It mainly is aligned with their strategic plan. So we are not going to say you have to focus on this because otherwise it doesn't match with their strategic plan and doesn't match with their other, it needs to be aligned with their other marketing activities as well. Right. Well, that makes sense. Tamar, did you have anything to add on that? Uh, yeah. Well, if it's, so I try and put myself in the shoes of someone who would be thinking about utilizing influences for, you know, if I was organizing events, I think the uh, KPI would be conversions so it it could be if you're utilizing influencers to grow audience or you're utilizing influencers to actually um, get exhibitors and sponsors then if I was an organizer my KPI would be conversions like uh, can I measure the influence of that person and those are my metrics some people might be measuring shares if it's a if it's social influence then they would be measuring those big numbers like impressions and reach and stuff but I think most businesses that I get again it depends on the product would be trying to push it right down into a into a hard metric and that would be conversion of something right a sale or uh, yeah. attendance at an event yeah. or something like yeah. that yeah that makes yeah. sense Rachel yeah, I would concur with Tamar. It's uh, it's mainly uh, the conversion in the in the case of events is uh, how many registration you are able to bring in, and also there's the reach of the influencers that are using product in a way to kind of expand the reach of the uh, of the event. You can measure that as well. These are the two main ones. In some other cases, we've used it not just for registration. It was done for building the program, or like we were talking earlier about collaborating with the different influencers in order to kind of shape up the program of an event. So everybody's uh, input is is important and bringing in thought leaders to be part of the program. So it depends really on the campaign that you're going with. And then you set the objectives and you set the the KPIs that you need to put in place to uh, see if it was successful or not. And that within Snowball, you have those capabilities? Yes. Cool. So Rachel, I want to stick with you for a second. Um, when, When we talk about influencer marketing content plays a really key role, of course. What are some of your best tips for killer content and an influencer marketing campaign? 
interesting you say that. In the way we we do it for the content is we, I mean, you look at when you work with, with your speakers or your stakeholders of an event, if you take the case of events, even people who are, you know, very familiar or very knowledgeable in writing or coming up with their own content, when it comes to asking them to do something, sometimes they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, our, in our case, <laughs> we kind of make it easy for them and we provide them with content and it's up to them either to modify it or use it as is to make it their own uh, their own language from there so we're kind of skipping the little steps for them in order to make it as easy as possible to do that as far as meaning the content as real as authentic as it, it can be uh, doesn't sound like it's a commercial and you know augmented with some nice visuals or or video uh, but again authentic not too elaborate big productions but something that is real that you would send a friend or it'd send somebody that you would have a conversation with them. So the more real it is, the, the more power it has. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, and that all comes in with matching up the right person to your campaign as well. So it all just kind of ties together. Tamar, do you have anything to add? So I would just concur with Rachel. The only thing that I would add is because because where we play is at the nano level. So we ours is all about getting people to invite others that they know really, really well. So we will add a little bit of small amount of wording, but really we leave it to free text because if someone's got a genuine relationship with someone else, they are not going to share uh, necessarily depends what medium they're using, but they're not necessarily going to share marketing messages. They're not going to share, they're, they're not going to share HTML and all that kind of stuff. So for us, it's like we encourage, uh, invites. If it's an email invite, then it would be to Bob, who I know really well. I, I it's not going to have, I'm not going to stick a marketing video on it. It's just, it's hi, Bob. I'm going to this. I think it's really good. Do you want to come? So the authenticity of it is really, really important. If you're trying to leverage those close relationships on a macro level, then it starts to get a bit, bit different because someone, you know, it's one person to many, whereas we're, we're looking at the one to one. Oh, that's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and Riska, do you have any, any thoughts on this as well? Yes, I think we should also use more humor and uh, fun in our campaigns. I think, uh, yeah, of course, we can talk about content, strategic, but I think, and therefore I'm so passionate about influencer marketing, is because we have endless options and we have endless possibilities. And I always have the slogan, I want to create the next, not the ice bucket, but the next mice bucket challenge of the industry, because this is such a simple action and we could do, we could do it as well. So I think humor, fun. And also what I think is also why the Ice Bucket Challenge was so successful was also by connected by a good cause. Like what Tamar said, people want to have authenticity. People are more willing to share content when it's related with a good cause than, of course, than just uh, sharing promotional content. And as we have more millennials coming in in the workforce, um, which are much more selective in choosing the company on their mission, on their vision and on how they do business, on their values, this is a unique way to say, how do you do business and where does your money go? And perhaps you want to share it to a good cause. So I think therefore influencer marketing is yeah has endless options and therefore, yeah, I'm really passionate about so. Getting people to laugh is always like t- tops in my book in terms of content. I love that. All right. So we're about halfway and we um, like to do a little brain break. So stepping aside from the influencer discussion, in light of the fact that Elizabeth's in Hawaii at the moment. I thought we would ask the question, if you could be anywhere in the world today, where would you be? 911, what's your emergency? So, sounds like someone's not having a good day. <laughs> <laughs> not, not there. That's not for there. Sure. Definitely not where that siren was going. <laughs> That's so funny. Rachel, if you could be anywhere in the world today, where would you be? Oh my goodness. And why, of course. Anywhere on a beach, really. Just put me somewhere on the beach. I'm good. So okay. <laughs> you, you could be here with me in Hawaii, Rachel. I know. You're bringing back good memories. I was there not long ago. <clears throat> it was beautiful. Yeah. This is Elizabeth's first time there. Ah. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was working, though. I was at a conference working. And, uh, yeah, it was hard being there all day working inside and then you come out and you have this outside. It's like, oh, my Uh, God, this is heaven. (laughs) And everybody's so happy and relaxed and joyful. (laughs) And it was just beautiful. Yeah, awesome. 
All right, Tamar, if you could be anywhere. Oh, well, I don't want to copy Rachel, but it would be a beach for me, but I think it would be Greece, a Greek island, beach, glass of wine, weeks off of work in front of me, that kind of thing would be nice. <laughs> that sounds like it's more of Megan's alley. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay I'll, I'll change my answer. <laughs> Greece, Greece it is, it's on my bucket list, Greece. I totally blanked out on that. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Mariska. Well, if I look towards the date, today is the 15th of February, I would love to see once in my life the Northern Lights, oh. which is now really the time of the year to see. I've never seen it in my life, and it's such a beautiful nature wonder. So I think I should go to Rachel's Place to Canada, where you can see it all up to here to Scandinavia. I don't like cold, not at all. I would also prefer to be in the beach, but I think it's <laughs> which is now the time of the year I would love to, you know, sleep in a snowy glow and uh, go with them, um, how do I say that, with those dogs on... Um, oh, the dog slicks. Yeah, and, uh, and see the Northern Lights. That's really where I love to be now, yeah. That's oh, awesome. Wow. Now, do we have Elizabeth answer this question or not? Because she kind of probably is well, exactly where... Actually, <laughs> actually, off of Mariska's uh, answer, I was actually trying to uh, make it to Alaska this winter. That hasn't panned out. And I ended up in Hawaii this weekend instead. So, you know, either, either of those, you know, obviously would be good. Perfect. All right, Jen, Cole, what about you? Well, you know, it's just that time of year in, in my life and in the life of many in the marketing industry where I pretty much just kind of want to be in uh, the San Diego Bay right now, <laughs> like driving a boat around or hanging out with the seals or laying under a palm tree somewhere. Well, you'll be there soon enough. Yep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm basically mentally there already and can't wait. A, a month from tomorrow, actually. Yes, ma'am. That's right. And it's a short month, so... It is. February, God, January was forever. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so people are like, is there 85? Are there 85 days in January? This is crazy. So re remind <laughs> our listeners why you'll be there, just in case they don't know. Oh, yes, of course. I will be there, and so will many other social media marketing people from around the world. We will be in San Diego for Social Media Marketing World 2019. It's going to be awesome. I would love to be there. Yeah. yeah. That's where I am. So, oh, um, oh, I went to <laughs> <listen. I laughs> paradise. So, I don't know if I want this question for you, Megan. <laughs> it's been really rainy and awfully miserable. If that makes anybody feel better, like, wow. that nope. me right up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I would like to be like on a beach that's more tropical than where I live. <laughs> I, was like, I have this picture of me in the Dominican Republic where like it's me, it's my back and I'm on a white, white, white sand beach and the water is just so blue. And I, I like, I look at that. I like, would like to transport myself there on the regular. I know I can't complain. And I really, when I, when anybody asks me that question, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? And my response is I could live anywhere and I choose to live here. So <laughs> um, there's no surprise why. Right. I mean, for for uh, for those of you who have who have been to San Diego, and if you haven't, feel free to. I've lived there twice. I was there in, 12, in 2012 when PCMA went. Very, Very good. Nice. Okay, I skipped a few sessions. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the, the, the trick, right? Like you walk out the back of the convention center, and it's like. Oh. There's a lot. Continue walking. And that's yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to the fire festival. I think Elizabeth has a has a question to start us. Yeah. On. So we so we ended up before our fun little brain break there. We ended up talking about you know content, and you know speaking of killer content, you know for the fire festival. What they had, what they did was they had all these influencers just post an orange tile, right, as a photo. It was just like an orange tile, and then it had, you know, the website or the hashtag or whatever. I mean, honestly, like that worked amazingly. Like that, you know, the thing that they did right with this whole event was the marketing, right? They sold out, you know, very quickly. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was the execution of the event was, you know, where the where everything went uh, went awry. So, what responsibility? And I think we might have gotten into this just, you know, briefly in the beginning. So, what responsibility do you think influencers have 
over the quality or the delivery of the product they're endorsing. I think it was Tamar, maybe that briefly you had said something about you actually do call it endorsing when it is kind of on that, you know, macro level, because that's a better way of you know describing what they're doing as, a, as opposed to influencing. So Tamar, I'll let you kick us off with this one. Yeah, I was just, uh, you know, obviously reading so much about it, seeing the documentary, etc. I think it's much more celebrity endorsement. And these people are celebrities because they've got huge followings on social media. So you pay them money and they do a job for you. And in that case, the job was to attract their followers to buy tickets for the event. So it's quite an easy transaction. I don't think they have... Um, because of that transaction, I don't think they have responsibility for the uh, the kind of end product because they were paid to promote something and they did, right? I think uh, that pro- I shouldn't think their credibility is being affected one little bit by that, <laughs> to be honest. They may choose as human beings to choose the endorsements that they take differently going forward. They, they may not. They got paid. As far as I know, they're probably the only people that got paid out of that so you know they they did their job and their their job was to sell ultimately sell tickets and they sold the tickets so you know obviously that was a big consumer massively promoed festival but if you if it was kind of a conference down the road and a speaker you know they they may feel a little bit more uh, responsible for that if they'd helped people part with money based on their recommendation but I think a celebrity endorsement is something different altogether that's my view anyway. Mm -hmm. How about you, Rachel? What responsibility do influencers, you know, even if it's on a nano or micro level, how do you, how do you know, like if an event is really going to happen, you know, especially if it is maybe something that's new or a first time, but I don't know how that relationship would work necessarily, you know, with an organizer of an event, Um, what responsibility do they have in, you know, promoting or endorsing, influencing their friends to attend? I mean, that's where authenticity comes in place the most, I guess, because, you know, if it's a transaction, like the fire festival part where you can hear, I'll pay you this much, post this tweet, and that's it. And that's all they have to do. That's the role. They're not even part of the event. They're not involved. They don't know anything about the event. And in these cases, in the case of the fire, most of them didn't know what was going on. So they did it just because it's a transaction. When you look at the nano ones, you know, if we're talking about speakers promoting something about an event because they are going to be speaking at the event. So it's their reputation at stake as well. So in a way, they are responsible to make sure that whatever they're putting out there doesn't reflect bad on them and whatever the event is doing too and how that relationship you know, they're being relating to that event, it also doesn't affect their reputation in that one. So that's where, you know, different types of relationship with the influencers and the situation kind of implicates the responsibility or not on the influencer. Yeah. That's interesting. Is there anything that uh, you can relate to with, you know, hotels and CBBs? Um, Well, first of all, I totally agree with Rachel. I mean, these influencers have done, yeah, a great and not a great job. Because they promoted an event which they have never attended. So they were before the event, before the festival was there. So they promoted totally not the festival. They promoted the feeling, the party. So if you work with experts, they would never agree to work on this. I mean, because how can you promote if you've never visited? So so I think you need to be very careful. Also, for clients, you need to be careful with who are you going to work, not only with the influencers, but also with the network that they have. Who are you going to influence? So, yeah, they did a great and not a great job. I mean, they caused a massive, huge effect on, uh, and buzz uh, around the festival, but they've never attended the festival. So how authentic are they? Right. So that actually leads really well into my my question that I had next was about trust. So because basically we know they did they they did the job they were hired to do. They got people to buy tickets. Right. But do you think that those influencers have maybe lost the trust of their followers or their community? Does is there a risk of that happening? Obviously, we're talking specifically about the fire festival, but also in general, like if something goes wrong, the responsibility of the person that said, is there trust loss in that, in that person? Because what they sold wasn't delivered. What do you think, Mariska? 
Well, of course, because you connect with the brand, you connect with the client. So, it, well, if you are a professional influencer, I think it will have an impact on your, on your, on your followers, of course, because they trust you. They trust you that you are a professional, and that you spread the word about those that product or service. So, I think it had a, an effect. I, I don't know um, which influencer. I haven't re- researched that, but I, but. Um, at the other end, if I look towards how we do it, if something goes wrong, you can always say, this was, of course, a catastrophe what happened. But if something goes wrong, you can also uh, let the influencer come back to your hotel if something went wrong with the service to show how you have improved your service. This, in this case, was a total catastrophe. So I also don't really understand why these influencers really, well, of course, for them, and they thought, it was a unique opportunity because it was a first festival. It was announced so big. So I think also, like we say in Dutch, there was also a big fat fish <laughs> in front <laughs> of them. And they'll say, hey, we have something, a unique opportunity. So I think, and that's the risk, of course, of working with a new brand or new new product. But I think, and I assume, that it had an effect on, on their followers and their authenticity. For sure. What do you guys think, Tamar? Um, well, I think the reason those influencers got involved is they paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars each to do the job, right? So that's that's why they did that. I think as well, if you follow people on social media and into that celebrity stuff, I'd be really surprised if anybody blamed them for <laughs> what happened. But I think in the case like uh, Rachel was talking about earlier about the, you know, when you're talking about experts. So people that enter into a bit more of a collaborative kind of relationship. So I've been asked to speak at an event or talk about a topic because I'm an expert. The thing that matters to me most as a human being is is my credibility and my position as an expert. So if I get involved in something that doesn't work, then I, and I've encouraged others to get involved and I will feel um, some responsibility for that. But in that fire festival scenario, if that had happened, you know, the people um in, in, the the influencers could turn against you i've seen that happen on events <laughs> where you know you're launching an event you get speakers to come the events not good the rooms are empty who what happens is that influence can turn against you but i'm talking in those circumstances where they've not been paid it's a collaborative kind of like for like relationship but when it all goes wrong those those people can turn against you <laughs> gotcha uh, wow I'd like you to know, hear that, that uh, some stories on that <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, for that's, another time. That's just kind of the word of mouth thing going wrong, right? People will yeah. talk about the good stuff. And when it goes bad, they talk about that too. So you, if you, you know how it is, Megan, you know, like when social media yeah. was newer, you know, we would have like, you know, whether it was positive or negative, right? Like we're tweeting about it, you know, whether yeah. whatever the experience is, you know, I think that's kind of, you know, maybe tomorrow's talking about a little bit grander scale but yeah I mean that I think that that happens all the time I think if you thought an exhibitor say you've got an exhibitor or somebody to part with a lot of money on the basis that this is going to happen at the event and then you don't get the numbers in and stuff like that you know that all of that will have an impact and I call all of that influence it's just not paid <laughs> and, it, right. and it may not be cap, you know captured and facilitated in some kind of structured campaign but it but it all kept, there's good and bad influence. In the fire festival example, those people were paid money to do some specific things, and they and they did it. And um, you know, I think they did what they paid for, and they look at look at what happened. Now I mean, I know. Like they they did a good job in selling tickets. <laughs> right, Rachel. Yeah, um, and I add to that is that you know that there is a responsibility on the influencer and the organizer or the client to acknowledge also when they've done something wrong to gain back that trust. So in the case of the influencers of the Firefest, people before watching the um, the uh, documentary, maybe didn't, they didn't know the whole situation, what it was. So they might've lost the trust of some of the followers on them because, you know, you referred me to this and this is total disaster. But when they see it, that they didn't, they themselves were the, you know, part of the, <clears throat> they also got scammed. You might get forgiven, but acknowledging that is uh, is important. And we've seen it in the uh, documentary where the, the Firefest people were deleting comments and the bad reviews and the bad word of mouth because these people, they are the nano of the Firefest, of the people who are talking bad about it and posting on it, but yet what the client is doing is deleting that. So that's even, even worse. You're not even addressing 
the, uh, the situation in order to kind of turn it a little bit in a positive way. And that's the worst thing you can do is delete a comment on social media because that's going to backfire. Yeah, no, sure. Noticed it wasn't the um, celebrity influencers that were doing that, though. It was the people at the kind of bottom of the chain. And, and because the celebrity had taken money, right? So they can't then turn around and start saying bad things about the event that they've taken a lot of money for. But people who were underneath it, if that, had, you know, and people were being affected by that, you know, it probably helped create um, some of the disaster to a certain degree. Yeah, absolutely. That whole thing was just kind of communication is everything, you know, mm. it really is. So Rach, I want to go back to you. Do you have any best practices for determining whether an influencer's brand is a good fit for your brand? The most common one and like no brainer is that have they even tried my product or service or event? <laughs> they have to be themselves users of whatever they're going to be talking about and see how much that fits with the, with the brand. And then they might just be natural at it. They'll be more natural at it. They'll be more authentic. And we keep talking about authenticity. And that's, you know, the best practice is really finding those people uh, and not people outside of the circle of your uh, actual brand or event. Absolutely. Tamara, do you have anything to add to that? I agree. Yeah. I think Rachel said that all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like that too. What about you, Mariska? No, I think... Um... Rachel made a perfect, perfect summary. Yes. So I have nothing, nothing to add, actually. Do you have, I'll, I'll, I'll give you kind of a follow-up. Uh, do you, any of you think that an influencer's particular style, like their, their personality, like that comes across, you know, in their personal brand, you know, let's, let's just say somebody is, you know, a little bit more controversial or something like in the kinds of things, you know, that they post, are there scenarios where, you know, your brand in, in trying to hire somebody, you know, would, would dig deeper and, and look into those kinds of things? Or do you guys think that that kind of stuff matters less? What do you think, Mariska? Well, if we select uh, an influencer, if we propose the different influencers in front of our client, we've done our research into, into their profile. So we give a description how they are. Um, so, and then it's up to the client. We give a description, we give an amount of followers, and most of them we know personally. So we explain the style and the mission and the vision of the influencer. So then it's up to them to say, okay, we, well, that person is a little bit controversial, but yeah, that perhaps matches with our, with our product or not. And then it's up to the client to decide, yes, it is a fit or yes, it's not a fit. But I think it's like, again, like I said in the beginning, it needs to be aligned. Um, that person needs to be aligned with your strategy. Because you you could want at some point somebody who is uh, controversial, depending on the campaign you want to launch. So you might go after these people specifically. Yeah, true. Yeah, it all depends. It all depends what you need, and uh, so and it all depends, of course, with what what yeah what your desired outcome is from from the campaign. So it can be an advantage and can be disadvantage. They used to say all PR is good PR, but is that, I mean, that's <laughs> right. But not necessarily the case, depending on, on kind of what happens. Yeah. So can we ask, I guess it's really going to be a tough question to answer, but interested to know, how do you determine how much an influencer is worth? What would you take into consideration in terms of how much you're going to pay someone to be an influencer? Yeah, if, if there is some kind of payment, whether it could, you know, is in monetary or services right you know some kind of uh you know even if would you say Mer megan even a payment could be like a free registration to yeah a conference right like that could be a form of payment so how do you guys it looks like rachel have an answer for this i mean th there's no right answer for that one it's really depending on each type of influencer or situation that you have some people are happy just getting a guest pass or some vip treatment to kind of meet up with some you know, backstage or speakers or whatever, or, you know, going to the IP receptions, uh, just elevate their, their experience at an event and they're happy doing that and becoming an influencer. Some others, you know, they might want to be paid. And if you're looking at a project more long-term project, it might be a retainer, it might be per project. It's really, it's a negotiation. There's no set fee and this is how much I pay. Uh, you know, there are platforms there that, you know, they set a certain... Uh, price per post and you know you go by there and it's like a it's a production <clears throat> that just uh, comes up so there's different types of uh, implementation for influencer marketing and um, it varies two hundred fifty thousand dollars is a lot right <laughs> for one post 
what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think some of them got that, and then some folks that were maybe not like celebrities, they were supposed to get free housing, um, you know, at the festival. I don't know if it was like a free pass as well, but, you know, and then also housing that didn't exist. Right. <laughs> so, and I think in the, as you, as you all, <laughs> excuse me, well, know in the events industry, you know, that's the easy stuff to give away, right? Oh, you're come to the conference for free, right? Like there's yeah. less of a, you know, hard cost to that, than you know, giving them actual cash or, or even housing and, you know, other things for that matter. I've seen situations to an event industry where it was uh, after the event was done, the the client or the meeting planner they notice the ones that are the most active and the most loud during the event and posting and sharing and they approach them to become influencer for next year's event as okay we'll give you a free reg come because you know they kind of prove themselves in a way that okay this is a nice tone they did a good coverage it gave us a good reputation and good like exposure out there and that's how they got selected it was so natural uh, natural selection there. I know there's a website, I can't remember what it is, I can send it to you later, that you can put in the profile of someone on Instagram and it will tell you based on their followers and what's going on, what's the average cost per post that you would pay them. Oh, ah, interesting. Yeah, you'll have to share that with us. Tomorrow, yeah. do you know what that is? Tomorrow, no. you know what that's <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Rachel will definitely have to share that with us. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll find it, I'll find it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think there's value, like, so Jen, she works for Social Media Examiner, which puts on Social Media Marketing World. So say that, because we mentioned that she's coming here for that, but it's, so she's she's working it. They don't pay their speakers, but I believe it's in their contract that they are to promote their own sessions and promote the, the event. Right, Jen? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So, and I'm guessing they don't have to pay to attend either. Like, no. so that in a way, you know, they, that's their, their payment, their, uh, I think that's really common these days to have that in speaker contracts. Yeah, well, and I think it's actually Brian Fanzo uh, has been on our show a few times and he's a keynote speaker and thought leader, influencer. And uh, he started putting it as an offering, which I think helped him get gigs um, (laughs) that he would be, you know, be willing to do so many social posts, you know, on each platform and that he would, you know, essentially be promoting the event. Jen, did you want to finish off with our final question here? Yes, absolutely. Um, all right. So tomorrow, why don't we bounce back to you? Are there scenarios where a brand can be an influencer, you feel like? Yeah, definitely. So, well, I can, again, you, I can only relate it to kind of personal experiences, but I think when you're launching an exhibition, when you're launching a show, like that's what I used to do. If I was launching a show, the sale, the other, all of the sales that we did relied on the brands, on the key brands that we got in. So everything we would do would be revolving around promoting the brands or getting the brands that we've got in to promote themselves. So I think, yes, I, I kind of see brand like, like probably the celebrity endorsement thing. The brand and celebrity endorsement is about one entity, a huge entity kind of promoting something to many, many people. Um, you know, so that's the kind of different types of influence, but definitely a brand can influence for sure. I, I think I agree with that. For we, sure. I know that we have, yeah, we have our sponsors that come in and yeah. And to be honest, when we were launching events, there would be brands that you had highlighted had to be in in the event, and um, you know there would be offers, particular offers on the table because without them you couldn't get that event launched. So that's how influential some brands are. I mean, yeah. these days that was a long time ago. These days you'd, you'd be thinking about more how you could get them to get the message out but yeah for sure any other thoughts uh, between rachel or mariska um yes a very recent example which i really really liked was from a brand uh, she let who lifted on the, the campaign that they did after the me too hashtag mm-hmm. so i i think that is also how brands can influence on in a good way um behavior and and be an example for others. So that's just one of the recent examples which I which I really like that also in brand can influence yeah <laughs> the influencers or the or the people are following them. So yes, of course, yes, definitely. Yeah, and in that case, even the backlash, even like the negative, still got people were still talking about the brand. 
So it was yep. still like, you know, this like sort of snowball, if you will. <laughs> Rachel would like that. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap up, but I want to do a quick fire around the round robin. Of, I want everyone to share what their favorite review platform is to now, Elizabeth, this is Elizabeth's question to write a review on or to read Elizabeth, which were you thinking? Well, I guess it could, I guess it could be either. And, okay. and I'll start it just to kind of give you an idea of, uh, you know, just something fun I was thinking about. So I still enjoy taking pictures of my food, but as you guys <laughs> know, people are super annoyed by that if you just post them in your Instagram. So recently I have found that Google seems to really appreciate when I post those pictures to a restaurant's Google page. <laughs> So it's funny because they're always sending me these emails telling me how many people like looked at my pictures, right? And it makes me feel special and important. So I continue to share, you know, pictures of my food or pictures of restaurants or whatever and, or hotels, you know, places that I'm at. So I really like literally just Google, like Google Maps, Google listings as a review kind of platform. So, you know, anything along those lines, you know, if it's just even just for personal travel, or I know that there's like review sites for, you know, B2B technology, anything like that, you guys. That's interesting. Yeah, because I actually just started responding to Google reviews for my restaurant clients because there's a lot more activity on Google than there is on Yelp. So I was Mm -hmm. like, well, if I'm going to be responding to reviews, I can add that into the mix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Rachel, what do you think? Yeah, I read the the Google reviews. I, I Google something, a business, whatever that is, and I go to Google reviews and I look at the users because sometimes you have different photos from the business, but then you look at the actual users' photos there to see what their perspective on things. Awesome. I don't write I don't write much. I just watch. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's fair. Yeah. I'm seeing some good user generated content in there too for my for my clients. So so there's there's that. Tamar, what's your well I'd love to come up with something different, but Google is my thing as well. (laughs) I I hate TripAdvisor with a passion. Oh interesting. (laughs) Uh, But I but I still look at it. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't actually post many reviews. If I did, it would, you know, like you tend to only talk about the really bad experiences because uh, everyone's kind of obsessed with TripAdvisor reviews. But when I go to different countries and stuff, I just feel I can't. The TripAdvisor stuff leads me astray, whereas Google reviews pretty good. I've got lots of ideas for better review sites, <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't really found Maybe that's your next venture. Yeah. Unless maybe Elizabeth can help you with that. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Let's chat about that. (laughs) She's got some time on her hands. I want to, you know, like we've been talking about the influencer thing. I think um, people would more likely trust reviews by people that they know. And I think that's massively missing from everything. And it really annoys, I'd like to look at TripAdvisor and only see, see if I knew my friends were using it too and they like the same things when they recommend a restaurant, I'm going and I know what it's going to be like. But the thing with TripAdvisor, you just don't know who's reviewing. That's interesting. <laughs> and um, yeah, so for me, the, again, it's all about that. I think in today's world, people have got even closer together in that trust is really important. And so when you're, you know, you're looking at a review, you want to, uh, you want to know that it's from somebody that you trust. For sure. Mariska, have anything to? Yeah, well, I, I totally agree. Tomorrow, it's build, build on trust. I will, because uh, as we in our industry, we travel a lot and it would be great if someone <laughs> has been to a hotel or restaurant and saying, yeah, I've been to this place and it's really great. So if I look to reviews, for example, on booking.com, I always select oh. a country because as a Dutch lady, I don't have the same requirements as perhaps uh, the Americans or someone from Africa because we tend to look to different things. So if a Dutch saying it's really bad and American saying is really good i mean for example just a simple thing about breakfast we uh, <laughs> yeah i mean yeah for you laughing but it's really because yeah we breakfast in american style or european style that's something totally different so yeah you have to read really really carefully the reviews and um you cannot say okay if you have five american reviews it's a uh, globally how say that uh, globally covered now because every every we uh, we underestimate the cultural differences so we try to yeah. 
through the reviews and really look carefully to say, okay, if it's booking.com, who's been there from the Netherlands and um, what they, what kind of reviews they had and did they travel with children or did they travel alone or what your business or what your leisure purpose. So, yeah, it's really difficult to find the right reviews, but as a personal tip, which I also really like and I recently discovered actually is if you travel, is Atlas Obscura, which is was not really well known in the, in Europe. So where you can find really strange places to visit, which are not <laughs> which are not really in the Booking.com places, or so. I'll share it in the chat. So Atlas Obscura is really something you could you could follow. All right, cool. Well, and I like to see the Booking.com thing has in common what what like with OpenTable, the reviews only happening if the person actually stayed there or actually did the activity versus you know Yelp or Google or anything else. Like anyone could say. So I like that. All right, and real quick. All right, um, mine is definitely going to be Airbnb right now. I've been doing a lot of traveling lately, and I, I just love staying there. I love being able to go through and leave my feedback about the amenities that are there. You know, the cleanliness. If there's a coffee machine, if there's a TV, yeah. And um, I like to read what other people write as well. And then I also like the the connection that you have with your hosts. Some of them are really laid back. Some of them are really communicative, and it's just really fun to read them and to leave them on Airbnb. It's huge for me. That's awesome. Well, yeah. And it only gets posted if you both write one. So that's the other interesting thing uh, about that. Mm -hmm. So awesome. Well, I want to thank all of our guests. This has been a really enlightening hour. I think anyone who thinks they know the whole drill with influencer marketing will learn a lot from um, what you all shared with us today. So thank you to Rachel, Tamar, and Mariska. And also my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Jen, as always. This has been episode 29 of Making a Marketer. And we will catch you next time. Bye.